Thank you to uh, everyone who's been involved in the worship service. I mean, the praise was so beautiful. Um, and our prayer and our piano. Uh, I mean, I don't, I really feel for all of you at home. The worship is so beautiful in person here. And I can't wait till we are worshiping together. Because uh, in here we can really feel God's presence at work. So may the spirit of God be with you even while you're at home. It's been an eventful week. I mean, to start on Monday, uh, a lot of us watched uh, the Leafs blow yet another playoff series. It was pretty painful to watch, actually. I mean, they were all skilled and dazzling during the regular season. But when it came to the playoffs, yet again, they just couldn't get the job done. I think for a lot of long-suffering fans, this loss exacerbated the pain of losing. You know, they felt for so long. And I realized, you know what, people want to be connected to a winner. I mean, seeing your team lose year after year, it's painful. Now, St. Paul, he was kind of going through similar challenges with this community in Corinth. I mean, today, for us, you know, Paul is a, a giant of faith. You know, like half of our New Testament has been written by him. But back in his day, all he did was struggle. I don't know, like this old hip-hop song came to me. It goes, all I do is win, win, win no matter what. You know, but for St. Paul, all he did was lose, lose, lose. I mean, over the years, uh, he uh, experienced a lot of failures, setbacks, many afflictions and suffering at the hands of others. He was driven out of cities, including Corinth. So yes, he was not a winner. I mean, Corinth itself was a cosmopolitan major city. It was a major port uh, that connected Rome and the rest of the Mediterranean. It was a center of commerce in the Roman Empire. It was a place that valued success and appearances. They believed that faith should demonstrate visible power. And that's why in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul's addressing their real concern for spiritual gifts. You know, they wanted to see visible signs of God's power. And to them, any spiritual leader should be spiritually successful and in a way be a spiritual winner. I mean, failure and weakness kind of to them meant that maybe there's something wrong with this guy. Maybe he's not really uh, called to be a leader. Because Paul, I mean, he looked in many ways, like a failure, steeped in weakness. He just got beat up, cast away. And what's more, he wasn't very eloquent either, apparently. He wasn't refined or polished. So in many ways, for these big city, uh, successful, success-oriented people, Paul was quite an embarrassment to them. The Corinthians made judgments based on what they could see with their eyes. I mean, we too as human beings, in many ways, we're driven by what we can see with our eyes. Right? We judge things by how they appear. And then our confidence goes up or down depending on what we see or what we're experiencing. And as I think about a lot of our young people, you know, this is particularly the case in the age of social media. I mean, the world of social media is built on appearances. So much energy is 
poured into building this attractive package and experience. You look at people's profiles and they exude, you know, success, polish, and confidence. Each post is very carefully curated for the world to see. And in this world, uh, your confidence goes up or down depending on the number of likes or follows or basically affirmation you get. And as Michelle wonderfully prayed, during this whole time of COVID, our moods and our confidence have also gone up and down with uh, the news of openings or closing back and forth. And by this point, people want life to just open up and resume. And people believe that things will just be better once things open. I mean, I'm all for this too, and I can't wait. Like I said, I can't wait till we have a full sanctuary where we're praising and worshiping together. I, I want that real bad. But is our confidence really tied to circumstances that we can see with our eyes? I mean, where does our uplift and confidence really come from? You know, St. Paul, he was very peculiar. Really, he's such a fascinating guy as I learn more about him. You know, despite all the failures and setbacks that he experienced, I mean, we see great confidence exuding from him. I mean, it's like the more failure he experienced, it's like the more confident he became. What a strange guy. And so I wonder, what was really like the source of this confidence? How many of us can really say that the more difficulty and setback we experience, the more confident we become. So Paul begins today's passage with this statement. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with scripture, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak. Now Paul here is referring to the previous verse where he said, so death is at work in us. So death is at work in us. He's talking about death that can come in kind of many ways or forms. You know, death of our bodies through suffering and affliction. Death of our spirit that comes from persecution or hard times. Death in our relationships that breaks our hearts. Death of hope. Any death of this sort, what does it lead to? It brings about painful silence. Right? When suffering hits us, we're leveled into silence. But Paul, Paul, he's saying that because of the faith that he has, like the kind of faith that's shown in scripture, death cannot silence him. That's what he's saying. Because of faith, he has confidence to speak and to speak a new word of hope that is bold. In other words, Paul's faith, it shaped what he saw. So Paul saw and experienced death. I mean, it was very real for him. It's not like he enjoyed it. But somehow through his faith, he began to see something greater at work underneath the surface. And what he saw was God's power. 
underneath his afflictions and hardships, his weakness and failure, he saw God's power at work. So Paul, he had a different kind of vision. He had eyes of faith. And so his faith shaped him to see beneath the surface of what was going on. And uh, what he saw was kind of like a different reality, different from what appeared on the surface. With physical eyes, yes, he saw death. But with eyes of faith, he saw life arising from that death. Where there was affliction, he saw glory. In terrible darkness, he saw God's power at work. And this gave him true confidence. I mean, I think we all know this. In our church, we hear this message all the time. But I realize human beings, we are so affected by what our eyes see, by what we experience. And I mean, they're very real things, right? But what eyes do we see things with? Do we see only the power of my present circumstance? Or do we see the power of God at work? Our eyes often deceive us. They don't reveal the full truth. They often don't see beyond what we see on the surface. You know, as a kid, I used to really watch this cartoon show called Transformers, right? And like the motto was, Transformers, more than meets the eye, right? There's more than meets the eye, but we don't see that more. We only see what meets the eye. And one remarkable thing about this whole time of COVID is the extent to which hidden or buried truths have been unmasked, right? We've seen so many things that have emerged, you know, racial issues, global inequalities, inequalities in our society, you know, and as Michelle prayed for us, this week we were confronted with the reality of the horrors of the residential school system with the discovery of these unmarked graves in Kamloops. I mean, innocent children, unnamed. You don't even know who they are, how they died. The thing is, it's not like it was unknown. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission already identified this issue, indigenous peoples have been speaking about this forever. But somehow we chose to keep it buried and away from our sight. The ground-penetrating radar that was used to discover these unmarked graves, in a way they also exposed the sin that residential schools and Canadian society buried. It wasn't just the graves they found, they exposed the sin. Sins of this world and of humanity. And there's a national reckoning going on right now because we can't hide anymore from this truth because it's been unearthed and exposed. And as I reflect on this, I realize this. The first thing that eyes of faith see is the sin that is buried within us. The first thing that eyes of faith see is the sin that is buried 
within us. And eyes of faith are like ground-penetrating radar for our souls. Reverend Kim preached about sin last week. Sin as this negative force that diminishes us, that keeps us from being who we want to be, the kind of person we want to be. And this negative force, it remains buried often within us, unseen with our eyes, and therefore just kind of easy to ignore on a day-to-day basis. But we know that it affects our entire being and kind of diminishes our life. So eyes of faith are like ground-penetrating radar into our hearts. And then we see the power that sin has over us. But I realize sin is not the only thing that eyes of faith see. St. Paul says this in Romans. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Yes, grace abounded all the more. He saw his own sin very clearly, but he was able to see God's grace that is even bigger and that abounds even more. And this is the truth that he saw in the cross, that God's grace is greater than sin. You know, to the physical eye, to the disciples and people around him, the cross is where sin and death are victorious, right? The cross symbolizes all the pain and tragedy we see and experience in the here and now. The cross does not deny it. It takes on this suffering. But with eyes of faith, we also see on the cross God's greater power and grace at work. Power that overcomes sin and death. Power that brings forth new life. This is why the cross has power for us and why we cling to it. At the cross, we see the reality of our sin and the reality of God's power. The cross, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> the cross symbolizes our new eyes and sight, right? We see death, but even more we see life. And I realize this is fundamentally, my friends, what it means to be a Christian. It means to see and experience our lives differently from what we see with our eyes. To be a Christian is to see and experience our lives differently from what we see with our eyes. So yes, we don't ignore our difficulties, our ugliness, or pretend like they don't exist. We see them, we acknowledge them, and the effect they have on us, and the power that they even hold over us. But that's not all we see. Even more than these negative things, we see God's power and grace at work in our lives. In any circumstance, we believe in and see that this positive power of God is more powerful than the negative things we see with our physical senses. When we see this power, that becomes our confidence. 
So my friends, we need to cultivate eyes of faith to see the power of God at work in our lives. And St. Paul says this, I think uh, this screen was flashed. We look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. How do we cultivate eyes of faith? I think first, you need to honestly confront the sin in your life. I think that is the entry point to cultivating this. It's a truly difficult thing. I mean, no one wants to really do that. It's so much easier to just bury it and move on with the life that we see. But I think we know that burying it can never bring about abundant life that we are talking about. So you have to want to confront the truth in your life, right? If you don't, it's almost game over from the beginning. We need to bring this ground-penetrating radar for our souls. And I was reading more about it. It's a, it's a very uh, meticulous and for the indigenous people, very sacred process almost. It's a slow process. They take this little device, this box, and they very slowly just walk in a line and then, you, and then they turn around and walk in another line. So it's a very slow process to unearth our buried sin. It's not a quick fix. It's a spiritual process. And so there's no one single method or way of doing it. You have to find a way that works for you to honestly examine yourself on, and reflect on what it is that's diminishing your life. You can try honest meditation or writing in a journal, quiet time in prayer, reading scripture, but making this intentional uh, step is what's needed. So first is to honestly confront the sin in your life. Second, we need to practice seeing God in our lives. You know what, it's kind of like learning how to play piano. You don't know at first, but you practice. You learn scales, you do arpeggios, and then you start to learn how to play piano, and you can see it, it comes a, a natural feel. In a similar way, learning to see God takes spiritual practice and discipline. I mean, we cannot see God physically, so we need to cultivate the spirituality of seeing God underneath the physical surface. Again, there's no one method. Meditation and prayer helps. Reflecting on our life through scripture helps. Here's one idea. You know, when you're going through something, is there like a praise song that resonates with you? Or even during worship, is there any song that just kind of really hits you? If so, just dwell on that song and let it speak for you. Because these songs are words of faith that help you see God at work, right? That is why when we are inspired, that's what it is. We, are, we feel God at work. We don't see God, but somehow we feel the reality of God. And so when there's difficulty and struggle in life, that's why often songs of praise help us. Because they help us see God at work. 
you know, I, I got, it's almost two years since I got ordained. And uh, after that, I had my final high C retreat with them. And actually, I realized that was the last high C retreat because it was the pandemic after. I feel so sad about that in some ways. But at that final high C retreat, um, uh, the kids, they made this book for me. So cute and so moving. And on one of the pages, they, list, they wrote down uh, Pastor Simon's Praise Playlist. <laughs> so you know what the songs were? They were... Gracefully broken, broken vessels, and ever be. <laughs> These kids know me, right? <laughs> they're, they're, they're absolutely right. Because for me, those songs really expressed in my life how God has been present in my struggles and hardships. And those songs have allowed me to see God's power and grace at work in my life. And so when I look back now, instead of only seeing struggles and difficulties... I can now see my past as filled with the grace uh, of God. And that's why when, we, when those songs come, I always somehow get tears. I don't know why. Because that's what it says for me. It reveals God's presence in my life. And this is why, I mean, music and the arts is such a precious part of our worship and people's faith. Because they, these are things that help us see God at work in our life. They cultivate our eyes of faith. You know, the concluding part of today's passage, it's so beautiful. It's inspired countless people throughout generations. I'm not going to read it, but I want to paraphrase it in my own words. You know, with eyes of faith, we never lose heart. We do not shrink back in life. I mean, even though our daily existence in this world brings about hardship and calamity, I am being renewed daily by God's loving presence and grace that I see and believe. The afflictions I face today are real and really hard. But you know what? They're slight and momentary compared to the eternal glory of God's love and power. What I see with my physical eyes right now, they're just temporary. But what I see with my eyes of faith the love, power, and grace of God are eternal. And so with my eyes firmly fixed on this eternal love, I have confidence to face anything in life until I am called home by my maker. Aren't these powerful words and statements? These are things that give us confidence in life. As we prayed, we're reflecting on our 25th anniversary over the next few months. You know, a group of our oldest first-generation members, uh, they wrote their stories, uh, and they're going to be published this summer. I read through them all, and I mean, what I felt was this undercurrent of sorrow, you know, melancholy, and kind of a real sense of how hard it is to find true joy in this world. And I shed many tears reading them. You know, most of them were born in the 1930s. And they lived through so much. They lived through occupation, liberation and division, war, poverty, and immigration. Such difficult lives. I mean, they, so they came and they eked out an existence. They raised families and uh, most of them are nearing the end of their life journeys. And so when we look at them individually, I mean, they're, 
lives are small and insignificant and just full of struggle and difficulty. But when I look at them through eyes of faith, I see great beauty in their collective stories. What I see is that out of the broken pieces of their lives, God stitched together something new. A new existence for them and their families here in Canada and this beautiful community that we get to enjoy. So the focus of our 25th anniversary uh, reflection is what God has done in and through this community. In other words, we're looking back with eyes of faith so that we can see how God has been present and where God is leading us in the future. And as I look back, what I see is God taking all these people who were who were broken and went through so much, but somehow had this tenacious will to survive, God took these people and created a beautiful gift for us, this gift of the church. And to me, that is an eternal gift. And I believe that this unique gift is given to us to be a gift to this world. And to me, their story is summed up by St. Paul's declaration earlier in this passage. But we have this treasure in clay jars. <clears throat> so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Yes, our first generation seniors were but mere clay jars. But God created something beautiful and treasure lasting through them. And because of that, I can see God at work now in all of us too. I believe that God will continue to create more beautiful things for us over the next 25 years. My prayer and hope for us and the generations to come is that we can more and more just really live out the way of Jesus. This is how St. Paul described himself and his companions. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be visible in our mortal flesh. I pray that the life of Jesus may be visible in our bodies. That we may give ourselves up for the weak and vulnerable just like Jesus did. And in offering our lives that the life of Jesus may shine through. I mean, we ourselves, we're not that significant in, this, in the eyes of this world. We live more comfortably, yes, we have good jobs, but really, and even our church, we're a pretty quiet, small and insignificant church. But for me, that is to our advantage. In fact, like St. Paul, I hope we can be even less glorious or significant so that God's glory can shine through our church.
That's what I hope. I don't want to be a mega church. I want to be a faithful church. We don't need to live mega lives. We just need to live faithful ones. Let us have eyes of faith. Don't worry about whether your life is shining brightly. Have faith that God is shining in your life. And let that faith be the source of your confidence. Let us sing together.